The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom Valentino. And back to stately Yuli Manor, just in time for us to record. It's Travis Yuli. Trav, uh, tell us about your evening. Um, yeah, <laughs> my evening was a little interesting. I got enrolled in a uh, drunk spelling bee, which is apparently a thing. Uh, took second place, but I have it under protest. I feel like I should have won. So, uh, so yeah, that was my evening. I uh, spelled my ass off and took second place. but. I'm no, good, buddy. How are you doing? I, I'm good. You know, I was uh, sitting here getting ready for this, and I was peeking in on Instagram, and your wife had on her Instagram story uh, posted videos of you from each of the different rounds. It was some high drama. I was I was getting a little nervous oh, yeah. watching you. Yeah, I was some of those it. words. It was, it was a I, walk in the park. I still I still think the uh, I still think the end was uh, the host. He's a good guy. I don't think it's his fault, but I think it was. Um, I think you pronounced the word wrong. I'll say it. I'll just say it. I think he said the word wrong, and I missed it, so I took second place. A little noisy in the video. I didn't. Hear, what, what was the word that took you down? Well, he said it was proboscis, but it was actually proboscis, oh. which clearly dictates how you spell the word. So I spelled mm. it wrong, took second place, but I did okay. I got like 30 bucks in gift card or something, so I'm oh. okay. I, I got go. no complaints. I'm good. Good deal. Good deal. Well, uh, hey, I'll tell you what. Uh, this past weekend here, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, watched a lot of football, uh, enjoyed the football on Saturday. Not so much on Sunday, and we're going to leave that at that. But uh, had a chance to read a really interesting article on uh, the great sports media website, Awful Announcing. And I uh, was kind of diving into what I think has become the most interesting turf war in college football this year. Uh, ESPN versus Fox Sports. Uh, ESPN's basically had a stranglehold on college football forever, and suddenly Fox Sports has made it real interesting uh, in terms of uh, TV ratings and uh, you know who's watching what channels. Uh, I highly recommend you go check out the story. We posted a link to it in the show notes for this episode, and I'm real excited that we've got the author of that article, uh, Awful Announcing Editor-in-Chief Ben Koo, joining us tonight. Ben, how are you, sir? Good. Uh, Ohio State beat Michigan and Ohio State beat North Carolina. And uh, there's no snow in the forecast in the next week from what I saw. So life's good. Everything's good coming up, Buckeyes. For sure. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, uh, again, I'm going to encourage everybody listening. Go check out the article. Read it in full. There's a ton of great information in there. But for the purposes of this conversation, Ben, give us a little bit of background on what you'd seen this year. Uh, that piqued your interest on this and um, what you're getting into with this article and, and what's going on with uh, college football on TV. Yeah. So uh, the article is basically that Fox has kind of employed a new strategy this year to make more people kind of tune into Fox for college football. And uh, some of it has to do with the scheduling. I know a lot of Ohio state fans who, and, and Michigan fans as well will, will know that there's been, Fox has been putting their best games on at noon, and now they have a pregame show. Uh, you know, for for the first time, they've really kind of made a concerted effort there. And 
it's been a success for them in terms of the ratings for them in the noon time slot with uh, Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt doing the big games there. Uh, and the pregame show has, has had a really strong rookie year, and obviously Urban Meyer is a big part of that. And the kind of article there was that um, Fox has, has seemingly embraced a strategy of kind of going after fans who feel a little disenfranchised with ESPN, and some of that might be based on kind of the political beliefs that people think ESPN has, but more so, I think they've tapped into something where they, they have done some research or they have a hypothesis that there's a lot of fans who feel that ESPN overplays favoritism towards the SEC. And uh, Fox has been incredibly warm to the Big Ten this year, and in particular, Ohio State and Michigan. And uh, it seems to be a strategy where they know fans will kind of warm up to them if they make that effort to, uh, you know, showcase Ohio State and Michigan and the Big Ten in kind of a counterbalanced way that they perceive ESPN treats the SEC. So if you kind of look at the pregame show, it went on the road. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, it'll go on the road six times, uh, the Fox pregame show. It's usually done in the studio. It always goes to Fox games. It almost <clears throat> always goes to um, stadiums where they have people on set that went to that tool. So they went to USC or they have Matt Liner. They uh, went to Ohio State of Michigan. They were Meyer and Charles Woodson. Um, so, and, and they're almost always leading into their the game that they're they're broadcasting. So, um, this has really kind of turned a lot of people's heads. The pregame show has gone over really well, and you have some people turning away from game day. You have some people who are kind of sick of just uh, hearing so much about the SEC when that's not their team. That's not their conference, and Fox seems to have, have figured this out, that if we don't really promote the ACC, the SEC schools that have networks with ESPN, um, you know, we think we can turn some Coke uh, drinkers into Pepsi drinkers, and that seems to have been the case. And, you know, my article is kind of putting that out there, but also just kind of looking at the history of Fox and ESPN and what the future kind of looks like with TV rights and you know, what to expect there and, and, you know, how this is kind of playing out with the pregame show. Um, so that was, that was basically uh, what I put into the article. And Ben, so Fox tried this previously, right? They tried it uh, probably what, eight to 10 years ago, something like that around 2010. And they, they kind of fell on their faces, right? What are they doing differently now that, that you think is having a, a, an impact? Yeah, so Fox's first version of a college pregame show was one of the biggest failures I've really seen in sports media. They had hired Aaron Andrews away from ESPN, and they said, we're hiring Andrews to do a game day competitor. Uh, And that set had Joey Harrington and Eddie George. And the way that the timing worked back then was that it was going to be on after Fox Baseball. Uh, what ended up happening on a lot of the weeks until baseball ended um, was that the baseball games in question needed to end at three hours or maybe a little over or hopefully 3.30 or 3.40 at the longest uh, for there to be a pregame show. And what happened in a lot of weeks is that games would go to extra innings, games would just be long, and then the football would actually start. There would be no pregame show. So you would have uh, Aaron Andrews, 
Eddie George and Joey Harrington sitting there ready to do a show, and then there wasn't one. So that was one issue because they really hyped it up, and then it didn't happen for uh, you know a handful of weeks that year. Uh, and the second thing was just that it was a disaster. You'd have Ann Andrews talking about putting on a game to show highlights that happened earlier in the day because this would happen in kind of like the 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock window p.m., and then they would roll highlights for a different game. And things like that would happen a lot. It was just – it looked like something that was like student TV or public access TV. It was just really clunky, and they never meshed. And I think they just decided after one year – we need to walk away entirely from this rather than kind of, you know, tweak it and tune it. And they have had some pregame shows before bigger games here or there, but they've never really said up until recently, we're going to do this every week. We're going to have these people on it. There was always kind of a lot of one-offs, the one, uh, the Aaron Andrews disaster uh, that only lasted one season and, you know, got panned by pretty much everyone and ratings-wise didn't perform whatsoever. Yeah, and let's be clear, if you're going to go up against game day on ESPN and that's the show you're putting on, that is bringing a knife to a gunfight, right? I mean, say what you want about ESPN, but game day has been one of their, you know, most solid properties that that network has had forever. Yeah, I think when you kind of talk about uh, ESPN, it's kind of it, – you know, there, there's kind of mixed feelings from a lot of sports fans. You know, ESPN doesn't like my team or, you know, there, there's a lot of gripes about ESPN. And it's, you know, partially because it's been around so long and it's so big that you're you're bound to find something that, they kind of, you know, you find unfair or offensive. Uh, but the one of the one properties that has really kind of uh, bucked that trend is game day. People have way more positive feelings and loyalty and respect for game day opposed to so much other of the ESPN brands and platforms and personalities. And that's really like held strong throughout the years. And now you have Fox coming in with a competitor this year. You have Lee Corso aging. You have kind of this, uh, this strong, um, you know, conference allegiance uh, storyline that's going to continue to play out. So, it, game day is really at a place where it, it, it's somewhat under siege. And I know the folks at ESPN are annoyed about it. Um, you know, Herb Street was asked about it, didn't seem happy about it. Uh, their PR people are really kind of annoyed in the fact that, you know, Fox is putting out ratings updates that in some instances show, you know, the Fox show gaining ground or even maybe ahead in some type, in some ways you kind of slice the ratings. So, you know, this is something that's a nuisance for ESPN because, They've had this all to its own. It's all been positive. Uh, you know, they love telling good stories. They love coming to cities. They love getting people, you know, with the signs and the Washington State flag. And it's one of, like, the kind of pristine positive things that ESPN still has in its portfolio. And at the same time, right now, it, it's for really the first time in its existence. It's really kind of under siege and under a microscope. And, you know, that's obviously not a good place to be if you're ESPN. Having said all that, if you were going to tell me that there was going to be one sport where there was going to end up being a, a, a pissing match between two different networks covering the sport at the same time, without question, my guess would have been college football. Because, I mean, the, the, the sport in general, I mean, it, it, it there's so much politicking that goes into it. You know, I mean, you only get four teams into the playoff. 
And there comes down, I mean, this is the weekend every year when everybody's making their last case. And this is a sport where, you know, as you've explained, different networks have different rights agreements with different conferences. And it's in their best interest to have the teams that they have rights to playing in the biggest games and, and having the highest rankings. So, you know, of course they're going to like go to bat for them. So, you know, I, the whole political thing on ESPN, I, I, I don't really buy into that and it didn't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't really think you did either as much, but I mean, there's a financial incentive here for ESPN to, you know, want to talk up SEC teams a little bit, whereas you can see where Fox would clearly see an opportunity. And how much do you think the fact that Ohio State has gotten left out in the last couple of years from the playoff and, you know, it's kind of been like right around, you know, the periphery there and, and just missing. And, you know, do they kind of see an opportunity specific to Ohio State to really go full bore here and, and then just kind of get lucky with how good of a season Ohio State has had? Yeah, I, I think, you know, they were going to lean into this as much as Ohio State season or whoever kind of from the Big Ten popped, if it was going to be Penn State, Penn State or Michigan or Wisconsin. Uh, so if you kind of look at the history of the college football playoff, there's been, I believe, five years. And in those five years, the SEC has gotten six teams. They've had one in every year, mostly Alabama, and then they had the one year with two teams in. Uh, the ACC has gotten a team in every year. And those are the two t- uh, conferences that ESPN has uh, networks for, the SEC network and the recently launched ACC network. And those are the two conferences where ESPN essentially has doesn't have share any of the rights with Fox. Uh, Fox started with the Pac-12 uh, rights and added the Big 12 and now the Big 10. They also co-own the Big 10 network. And if you look at those three conferences in the same five years, how have they fared? The Big 10 has gotten a, a team in three years, and, you know, that's half of the SEC. Uh, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have gotten a team in uh, two of the five years. So that's money to the conference. It, you know, it makes fans angry when you're left out, when, you know, why are, you know, the playoffs is this, the system that leaves my conference out in the majority of the years. Um, and, and, you know, people hate kind of not, you know, feeling that they're being considered that, you know, ESPN does the playoff selection shows, the, the reveals, they own the other two networks. There's kind of a perception that they're going to kind of want to maintain the status quo where the college football playoff always has in at least one SEC and ACC team. And then the other two conferences, have to fight for the other two spots, the other three conferences, but they also have to fight with another SEC team, with Notre Dame, as we saw last year. So, um, you know, if a, if a second SEC team makes the playoff or Notre Dame makes the playoff, that means that two out of the three conferences that Fox works with is not going to have a team in the playoffs. And I think there's frustration there. Fox kind of cracked the DNA there. And now whenever a team from those three conferences – is really kind of on the bubble or, uh, you know, maybe on the bubble being number one overall, like Ohio State is with LSU, they're going to be vocal in uh, kind of campaigning and lobbying for that team. We've seen that with Joel Klatt with Ohio State. You know, we've seen that with Urban Meyer. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of you, – you don't hear them talking about the SEC and ACC, and it makes total business sense. 
and I think that's just going to be a core tenant of their strategy going forward. Ben, how do you think, um, how, how much of that perception that, you know, ESPN favorites favors their, you know, the conferences that they have a financial stake in, how much of that perception do you think is reality? Um, you personally, as as you've looked at it more from an analytical perspective than I assume from a fan's perspective. Um, Cause yeah, when I look I, at it, when I look at it, I, I'll be honest, I, I've grown up like I'm 35 and my entire like fandom of college football is pretty closely aligned with the rise of game day. Right. So I've grown up with it and I still, I still love it as a show because I think Herb Street is still as good as it is, as good as they come. And I think Corso is still great. I know he's lost his fastball. And um, one of the things I really like about game day is how, how close him and Herb Street seem to be. And Herb Street kind of carries him and bails him out on a weekly basis. And I love the fanfare of it. But as far as the actual football discussion goes, it's pretty clear on a weekly basis that they feature the the conferences and the teams that they that they want to see succeed. I mean, they give Paul Feinbaum like a half hour every week, and that guy makes no qualms about where his allegiances lie. Um, I've never seen anyone from the Big Ten get as much time as Paul Feinbaum gets. Um, so how much of that do you think is actually legitimate? How, how much of it do you think is just sort of frustration from other conferences? Yeah, I, I think the thing to kind of think about here is that the SEC has had a great decade. And so they deserve kind of the largest slice of the pie in terms of discussion and championing for, you know, where is that line where it becomes kind of overkill and you're really kind of leaning into your financial interest. Um, and I think, you know, with, with individuals like Feinbaum, with some of the people who appear on like the morning shows, just kind of the general tenure of, uh, of the network, there, there is something there and maybe it'll be cyclical in that, you know, Ohio state could win it this year and maybe next year, another big 10 team wins it. And suddenly the network ESPN, who does have a television contract with, uh, with the Big Ten is beginning to kind of show more attention to the Big Ten or, you know, potentially a Pac-12 team gets in it and USC kind of comes back from where they were or where they were at like a decade ago. Um, you know, I, I, I think that there's it's, – it's a mixed bag and that they do kind of have a responsibility to, uh, you know, acknowledge the fact that the SEC typically has the most ranked teams in the top 25 – um, that you know, there's lots of fans who tune in to watch commentary about those teams. Um, there's a huge amount of conference pride. I mean, what other conference uh, when they win a national championship chance? SEC, SEC. If I'm in New Orleans this year and Ohio State wins, if they're lucky enough to get there, I'm not going to be chanting Big Ten, Big Ten. Or if the team that I grew up rooting for in, uh, in the NFL, the 49ers. If they were to win the Super Bowl, I would not chant uh, NFC West, NFC West upon winning that championship. So there is something to the fact that people in the SEC are, you know, potentially a little bit more zealous than other conferences. But, you know, where where is the line in acknowledging that, uh, you know, that success and that amount of um, fandom? And, you know, where is your responsibility to the other conferences? And I think, uh, you know, most people would think that they've probably 
gone a little too far. And I think Mark May was a, a part of that. And Paul Feinbaum's a big part of that. And I think Fox is like, you know, the market correction of, you know, if you're getting annoyed with this kind of narrative and uh, this kind of preferential uh, discourse for the SEC, you know, we can, uh, we, we can uh, you know, give you an alternative. A part of it, though, and I'll be honest, a lot of it over the years has kind of felt like it's it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They They tout how great the SEC is. And for the most part, it's just Alabama, like Auburn won one, Florida won a couple like 10 years ago, but it's really just Alabama. And we constantly prop up Alabama and every team that Alabama beats as though they're all pretty close to Alabama, but none of them really show that on the field. So like this, this idea that the SEC is, is really that much better than everyone else. Um, Alabama consists, in my opinion, Alabama's consistently gets a benefit of the doubt that other teams don't get um look no further than the year they got to rematch lsu after lsu beat yeah. them um they're constantly propped up and, and to their to their credit yes they usually end up looking very good and they usually win right but they're co- consistently in that position where well we'll give them a mulligan that we're not really going to give anybody else and then because they this other team played them tight and a couple of the teams might've played them tight Alabama and by connection, the sec is this much better than them. I honestly don't know that that's been the case. And we've, we've, we got diluted into it over the, the course of like Oh six to I think like Oh nine, Oh 10, 2010, whenever it was um, the Cam Newton year um, where, yeah, they won every year and they had very good teams, but this idea that the SEC is literally this much further than every other conference in the country, I feel like has fallen apart over the last few years. Just look at Alabama's schedule this year. They lost two games and they didn't beat a single ranked team all year. Um, so, so is there anything that you see in terms of like, like a market correction where we maybe come back to earth a little bit that they're not really this much better than everybody else. Although we've been conditioned by, uh, I'll sound like a homer here. We've been conditioned by ESPN to think they are over the last decade. Yeah, I think the SEC kind of hype uh, is, is probably going to persist as long as they're getting a team into the championship game every year and potentially winning it. And or they didn't get one into they didn't get one into the championship game in the first the first season year. of the playoff. Yeah, but I think you know in the four years since I, I think when you're 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 either you either don't make the playoff or you don't advance, you start to lose a little bit of your luster. So they didn't in the first year that was Ohio State Oregon, but they've always kind of persisted that you know that much longer into the season. So if you kind of think of you know all the bowls happening around New Year's Day and the the first round of the college football playoff this year it's going to be December 28th, which I, I saw and kind of rolled my eyes at. Other times it's January 1st, but if you are able to kind of place a team to the championship game because they won the playoff game and they had that one year where they had two teams, I believe, in the championship game with Georgia, that's often, you know, a week to two weeks of the media only covering, you know, that one, co- the two conferences that are in that game. And that one year it was just SEC. So that kind of extra attention seems to carry over season to season. So I feel like the SEC, if they could go a couple years without putting a team in the championship game or winning the championship game or 
if Saban had a three-loss, four-loss year, which I, I can't recall in the last – I feel like there hasn't been one for a while. I think that begins to kind of take some of the, um, you know, the luster off of the SEC. So I think those are probably the two things that you could see um, kind of knock some of the prestige off of the conference. So, you know, essentially it's Alabama, you know, falling out of the top ten for a year or two or the SEC just knocking any team into the championship game. Um, and, you know, in most years, those two things are not happening. So that's that's sort that, of my point, though, in terms of, of it being sort of a, a self-reporting prophecy, is that, yes, if, if, if a team can't get into the playoff, that might change the perception. But no one seems willing to not put the champion of the SEC into the playoff. We assume going yeah, I mean, into every college football season, if you win the SEC, you're in the playoff. doesn't matter if you actually earned your way in. If you win the SEC, you're going to get in. How, how, do, how does, do you see, ever see that changing in the near future? Yeah, I, I think you would have to probably have a scenario where uh, I think there's been some years where, if I recall correctly, you've had Alabama against like a fringe you know, team like Florida, like a four-loss Florida team from the West. So if if one of those teams were to kind of beat a one-loss SEC team, I think that would kind of break the streak. Uh, so, you know, it, I think it was three or four years ago, there was like Florida who was maybe ranked like 12th. I think a 12th-ranked Florida beating a number one-ranked Alabama with like three losses, I, I don't think the committee can can put in – that Florida team, I don't think the Alabama team would make it. And then, you know, that's that's the, as you said, the self-fulfilling prophecies. Then you're going to have people like Paul Feinbaum and you know, other people at ESPN saying, well, what about LSU with two losses? Or, you know, they're always trying to kind of figure out, you know, who from the SEC will go. But there, there are scenarios where I think you wouldn't see an SEC team in. And I think it would be positive to the sport in general if one of those came to fruition. Uh, so there was kind of a, a rebalancing and we weren't always in a place where a lot of the talk shows and, and kind of debate was centered around which SEC team should go. Can there be two? What if, you know, the, that, that seems to be in all the hypothetical situations, a lot of it seems to center around getting two SEC teams in or, you know, is this SEC team eliminated where the other conferences don't get that benefit of the doubt. And hence there's not, as you said, that self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, speaking of the self-fulfilling prophecy of uh, lots and lots and lots of SEC talk, I think we just uh, became uh, uh, guilty of that as well over the last 10 or 15 minutes. Bringing things back to the Buckeyes and Fox, I'm, oh, I'm Ben, I'm curious to know what you think. You know, Fox has obviously gotten a bit of a break this year with their strategy of putting these big games on at noon. Uh, coinciding with the dominant team that they've got rights to being Ohio State based in the Eastern time zone. They've got deals with the Big 12. They've got deals with the Pac-12. What happens in the future when it's like Oregon or USC or Oklahoma even or Texas that becomes like the runaway freight train dominant team and, and the best property that they've got uh, on their list of schools that they're working with, do, do they are they still going to be able to run with this whole big noon concept, or are they going to have to kind of adjust on the fly? Yeah, I, I don't love 
16 games, uh, and I went to the Michigan game. I went to Wisconsin game. I went to the Penn State game. All of them were noon. I didn't love that at all. Uh, and, and we've kind of written about this, too. They have identified that noon is the best time slot for them because the SEC owns 3.30, and then uh, ABC, ESPN own kind of the night spots. So Fox kind of realized that there was some fresh air scheduling-wise um, for them to go noon. The problem is is that a lot of the schools that they have rights for are in the central or mountain time zone or the, the western time zone, the Pacific uh, time zone. So you're really looking at Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State that would really – and, you know, there's other schools in the Big Ten as well, but those are kind of your marquee blue chips that are in the eastern uh, time zone that um, – that would naturally have games at noon. Uh, they have put Oklahoma and Texas there. The Big 12 Championship, I was surprised to see this. This weekend, um, Saturday, the Big 12 Championship game, um, which I actually believe is on a- ABC, that game's on at noon, which means it's on at 11 um, in the central time zone where it's being played. So um, they seem okay forcing Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas to play at 11. Um, I think that they'll, they're going to try to do it maybe once per year per school for the 11 a.m. Uh, schools. Um, the Oklahoma athletic director complained about it, but at the end of the day, it comes down to money, and we've seen Pac-12 teams do this where they've complained about how late their games are on, and the network said, okay, if you don't like it, we can put the games earlier, but it's in our contract. And this is the amount of money you would have to give back to have that kind of influence on the scheduling. And the Pac-12 kind of looked at it and said, well, actually, we'll, we'll keep the money. We'll shut up and keep the money. So they're, they're going to lean on the Big 12 teams to kick off at 11. They're going to keep doing what they did with the Big 10 teams. And, you know, they're going to try to follow, you know, whatever is the team that's kind of streaking towards the playoff. And in terms of the West Coast, with, you know, potentially USC or Stanford or Washington or Oregon, um, there is talk that they might do some games at 9 a.m., and there's some talk that maybe they'll, they'll do some of the Pac-12 teams in the mountain time zone like Utah and Colorado at 10 a.m. Will teams, will schools get behind that? It remains to be seen, but those conversations are happening, and I feel like if they could get one or two games um, from the Pac-12 to, to be in that window per year, they would feel good about that. And maybe the Pac-12 can go along with it. It's two different schools and it's once, once a year. So that, that's something to watch. And, you know, if they can get a couple Pac-12 schools of Oklahoma and Texas and Nebraska, Wisconsin, kind of pull some weight as well. Um, it doesn't have to be Ohio State and Michigan at noon. Pretty much, I think, I, I don't know what the total was, but it feels like it was like maybe eight of the games this year, somewhere around that. I personally would not be totally shocked now that Fox has built up a little bit more equity with college football viewers this year. Uh, if they try their hand again a little bit more in prime time, I think that's kind of been in the past. Maybe you know, it, Fox wasn't a destination for college football viewing or it wasn't considered that as much. And now that they've had what I think they would consider a very successful year and they've built up that, uh, that Fox sports brand in terms of being a college a place to watch college football and big games um i don't think the ohio state michigan game or anything like that's ever getting uh anytime in the near future will be getting moved to prime time but some of these other games especially because like you know i i just 
maybe I'm just missing it, but I feel like the primetime slate on ABC even this year hasn't been particularly great. And I don't know, maybe if that's just a function of Fox moving so many of their games to noon that might have gone to primetime in years past. But I don't feel like that, maybe 3.30, especially when you start mixing in CBS as well, maybe that's tough ground to crack still. But uh, I feel like primetime is not as infallible as you might think. Tino, I think, yeah, honestly, I, mean, I, I, th- I think personally, I've had way more, I feel like as a guy, I'm more into college football than NFL. And weekends to me, I'm more invested on Saturdays than I am on Sundays. I personally think there's been more general, like, clunker overall weekends this year than there have been, than there have been in years past, regardless of time slot. Like, I always watch the Ohio State game, obviously. But I think there's been a lot, a lot of weekends where it's like, okay, what's what's the what's the really good other game this week where I have to look at the schedule? I'm like, I don't really know that there is one. I would agree with that. Yeah, I um, mean, it's, it's hard to kind of kind of benchmark, but I, I I feel like this this year we had three or four Saturdays that were kind of you didn't get much, and I think in, in most years there's only like one or two Saturdays that. You kind of look at it and you're like, oh, like, Ugh. yeah. Do I have to agreed. Do I have to leave the house <laughs> and do something. Uh, but this year, I felt like uh, you know we, you know, one out of every three or four kind of didn't bring us uh, kind of the fireworks or the, the big game matchups that we want. Um, and and you know, a part of that though is that uh, there were there were two buys this this week or this year for every team. So I think the schedule was a little bit spread um center there was an extra week in the season because of the way the calendar fell uh this year Hmm. we're talking about the pac-12 how much do you think pac-12 is sort of notorious over the years for their uh every year it seems like they have one or two really exciting games right that happen when everyone when when sort of the rest of the day is over i call it packed pac-12 after dark used to be pac-10 after dark um where there's a game, it just happens to be good, right? It, it it happens to be really entertaining. It's late at night. It might not even be too, like, contenders or anything like that. But they seem to get a lot of eyeballs that way. Um, last week, they had um, their... They might even have it this week. Is there a title game tomorrow um, on a tomorrow Friday? Night, yeah, I, yeah, like, are they... Like, some of those, like, after the, the, the Saturday late game... Some of those are very memorable to me, but overall, do you think that has had a, a a significantly negative impact on the conference in terms of like national perception and when it comes to yeah. picking teams I for think, playoffs and things like that? Yeah, I, I think the thing about the Pac-12 is that, uh, I mean, how many fans are in bed when some of those games are happening? Um, and you kind of see that in Heisman voting when there's been some really close um, – kind of showdowns between like Christian McCaffrey and Toby Gerhardt and Andrew Luck and Alabama players. And you'll talk to voters who said, I've never actually seen these guys play live. Um, so some of those games kick off 1030 um, East Coast time. So I've been out at bars that close at like 2 a.m. And those games You're are still before the game's over. Yeah. Yeah, before the game, it's, it's mid-fourth quarter, um, which is crazy. You know, like if I went to a bar specifically to watch that game, it's a weird feeling to, you know, be told to get out of a bar and you're like still watching the team. So 
I think uh, if, you, if you go out and you've been out and, you know, it, it, it's odd to move from the West Coast to the, to the East Coast and just be seeing football on at these, like, post-midnight hours. Um, and that's where a lot of these second halves are happening when there's big plays, there's, you know, overtime games. I think Cal and Washington had a crazy game that there was a – I think there was a thunder delay that delayed a 10.30 game another, like, two or three hours. So I think it kicked off at, like, 1 a.m. and Oh, that had to be at, a moneymaker. <laughs> yeah, I, it ended at, like, 4 or 5 a.m., out here, and it was – Cal knocked off Washington. I think there was a blocked PAT or missed PAT with, like, five seconds left. And, you know, it's one of those things where if it happened at a normal hour or to, you know, potentially another conference or whatever, you know, we'd all be tweeting about it. We'd all be talking about it, but it, it didn't. And so I think you can just look at the number of people who are awake at that hour. Um, you know, it, it, it you know it doesn't help the Pac-12 and – uh, you know, you think about the amount of people who go to games or ha- go out to a bar and watch a game or have a few drinks. You know, are those people still going at midnight or later? And I think it, it just hurts the Pac-12. And uh, I think you know, their next TV negotiation, you know, they, they might look for someone who gets them on at, at better hours. I, I will say this. Um, even if they do renegotiate and get some of their marquee games at better times, I hope that uh, they never lose that late night slot because I don't remember the last time I was out at the bars that late, but I can tell you there's been more than one occasion this year where I've fallen asleep in bed and gotten bonked in the face by my iPad from watching Pac-12 after after dark (laughs) games. And you don't even really care like who the teams are playing at that hour. You just want more football. And if the game's close and weird things start happening, even better. But uh Having those late night games, it's it's great. So uh, I think that's yeah, I think that's the thing about it is it it is it is a good opportunity for them to get more eyes, right? They're not sharing with many other games at that point, but it's also like, do you want your premier games in that slot? Like you can the- you you want to put decent teams, and you know hope that it's just a compelling and interesting game, so your conference gets some more attention. But do you really want to be in that slot where, let's be honest, the guys who are voting for, you know, the polls and like you mentioned, Ben, the the Heisman, like, I think it was um, um, Chris McCaffrey not that long ago mentioned, like, he talked to a Heisman voter back when he was in college and the guy's like, yeah, I never saw you actually play a game. It's like, okay, okay. honestly, I can't really blame the guy that much. Like, he's a Heisman voter, so he should watch it, obviously. But also, the games are on, if you're playing at 10 o'clock at night where that guy is, can I really blame that guy for saying, yeah, I'm going to go to sleep? I mean, that, <laughs> um, that's scheduling. It's That's the power conference equivalent of Maction, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. That, that's why the Mac moved to Tuesdays and Wednesdays in November is because that no was the real estate it. that was available. And they're like, hey, we can get more eyes here. There's maybe not as many people total watching TV or watching football, but we can get a larger overall number. And I'm with hey. you, you know, like I've loved those after dark games. Those are some of my, like as a generic fan, not games that I'm emotionally invested in. Some of the most fun games I have are those late night pack 12 games that just turn into mayhem when you're like, I should go to bed, but I'm glued to this game. Um, but do you really want to, to, to hope for that 
as opposed to putting them against, you know, up up in better slots where more people in general are watching and hope that you just have a better game that people are more inclined to watch. Yeah, I don't Pac- know. Pac-12 After Dark might be a big hit with drunks and insomniacs, but uh, maybe not so much the Heisman voters and the uh, the pollsters. So, uh, Absolutely. I think what they want to do is they'll, I'm, a, they'll I'm one of keep I'm it. both, by the way. <laughs> I think they'll want to keep it, but I think what they the, – you know, because you're right. It, it's good to have the slot all to yourself, you know, with a lot of the, the kickoffs at, I think, 1030 Eastern. Um, but I, I think what they would probably kind of uh, try to steer their next TV deal uh, towards is that they often have two games going on at that kickoff. They'll have maybe one game at 1030 on potentially Fox or FS1 or ESPN or ABC. Uh, or ne- never ABC, it would be ESPN. And then they often have another game at the same time happening on the Pac-12 network. Uh, maybe it starts a little earlier because they're in Arizona or Utah. Um, and then in a lot of those weeks, they they frequently have a Friday night game too. So I, it, they have in a lot of weeks, and I, I'd have to check three, maybe even four games that kick off like after 10 p.m. Um, and sometimes it's on Friday as well. So I think they, they would probably be fine having one game at 10.30, maybe two in some weeks. But uh, I think they want to hold on to the spot. They just don't want to have, you know, that be such a big slice of their of their game times. Uh, I think it's what they're, they, they pull for. They, they, they see the benefit of it, but they, they feel it's being overdone. Yeah, it okay, seems but, like – go ahead, Trev. No, I'm going to say – since we're talking about the Pac-12 and the big conversation this week, I feel like seems to be, um, I think we're all kind of assuming chalk this weekend. If we do assume that, right, the the two undefe- the three undefeateds, um, well, all stay undefeated. Do you if if Utah and Oklahoma win, do you think Oklahoma's brand is enough to just get them ahead of Utah? Or I guess in your in your opinion, how do you think? How do you think this weekend shakes out if the you know the top six top six all win minus Georgia obviously because Georgia plays LSU? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be one kind of wrinkle. I think we're mostly going to get chalk, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Oregon beating Utah. I think that I, I didn't see what the spread is, but I imagine that's a little bit of a closer spread than some of these other games. Six and uh, a half. Utah- I'm. I'm looking at all the spreads for uh, the games on Saturday that or all the championship week games that I believe out of all the big conferences, that's the closest spread. Yes. Yeah, so it's possible we could see something there. And I think it'll be interesting just to watch, uh, you know, Utah. Cause I don't think a lot of people have watched a lot of Utah, but let's say Utah wins, uh, Oklahoma wins. I, I have a feeling they would go with Utah. I think the Pac-12 is a little bit better than uh, some people are giving it credit for. But I also feel like the playoffs subconsciously, and you know, we're not we're not in that that room. And they have their they kind of send out a representative every week to talk to Reese Davis. And they have Heather Dinich kind of do their bidding for them. But I, I feel that there is some subconscious effort for them to kind of spread it around. And so the Pac-12 hasn't been in two years in a row. Oklahoma has been in two years in a row. Uh, you know, if it's, I think the, the Big Ten used to do it with like the tiebreakers for like who wins the Big Ten. You know, it used to be I think you know the, your Big Ten record head to head, then your overall record, and then like a fourth tiebreaker was like who was the most recent team to go to the uh, the Rose Bowl. 
And this is like, you know, in a way different time than, than we have now in terms of, you know, where the teams go. But I got to feel like they, they saw Oklahoma uh, the last two years. They lost the first two years that at some subconscious level, they don't want to keep going back to Oklahoma, especially when they've been in the last two years. They've been in 93 of the five, and they've lost their last two, and the Pac-12 has been out. Um, I don't think it's bluntly stated like that, but I feel like there's kind of an unsaid understanding a lot uh, among a lot of those people that, you know, we got to kind of keep conferences and teams involved, else we're going to kind of lose our coalition of people who – you know, think this current playoff system is working. I feel like we're right up against it. So I'm going to close with this one. Ben, in your opinion, do you think, do you think four is, is the right number? And long-term, what do you, what do you see? What do you see the college football playoff looking like in, I don't know, five to 10 years? Great question. This is, something that everyone's got an opinion on. I wrote about this a couple of years ago. I like the idea of eight. I like the idea of eight with no conference uh, uh, championship games. Um, and that, that some people think it's unrealistic because those games bring in a lot of money. And to some degree, it's almost like that is the eight that we have. You know, you have these extra games. A lot of them are playing games. Uh, but if you actually look at the history of these conference playoff games, uh, some of them, the margin of victory per conference for a lot of them are 17 or higher. Um, you're not really getting that many competitive games. If you look at them, often with the divisions, you're not getting the best two teams. You know, so you have Pac-12 has divisions, the SEC, the ACC. Um, everyone but the, the Big 12, really. Yeah, everyone but the Big 12. And you're often getting the best one or two or three teams on one side of the fence, and then you're basically not playing the true championship um and we've seen that often with the big 10 the way the big 10 is structured um so i also if you kind of think of that the chess uh the trestle national championship year uh we beat michigan and then what do we do next we played miami in the national championship if you look at what it would be if we added uh eight now it would be beat michigan then playing a conference championship game, then playing a round of eight game, then playing a round of four, and then a national championship game. That'd be adding three games in between. And that kind of feels like you're stretching, you know, non-professional athletes a little too far. So I I, I think they're going to try to get it up to eight, and they're going to try to keep the conference championship games. I'd love to just go back to the days of no conference championship games you know, do we really need to see Ohio State play Wisconsin again? You get these matchups where it, it's a rematch often. Um, you get a lot of lots. If you look at the the kind of uh, history of these games, there are a lot of blowouts. There's a lot of unnecessary games. Some of these matchups aren't, you know, a true one-two of the conference. Uh, I think eight would be great. I think everyone would make more money. It would be great uh, television. You'd have the first round around Christmas and then kind of keep what you have at four in the championship game. Um, that's what I'd like to see. I think it works. I think it works for everybody involved. Um, but, you know. So you don't like you don't like this the six model with two buys? I could go for that, too, because back oh, in the day. If you, man, you almost two, had me. You almost had me, Ben. <laughs> I was almost on board. Trev is very, very anti-six. I, I think there's nothing more ridiculous than arbitrarily deciding that two teams only have to win two games. 
I think that's awful. I think that could be the worst thing that happens for college football. I'm not, I'm not big on expanding past four, honestly, but if you're going to tell me right now that you can look like use this, this season as a perfect example, if I was a Clemson team who was undefeated coming off of undefeated ring national champion, you're going to tell me, Hey, these other two teams deserve to only win two games while I have to win three just because of these random people who sit in a room and decide that awful idea in general. I can get on board with eight and I'm with you. I agree with you. I think the, the, the conference championships are just a money grab. Like I do away with them. They're not, they're generally not that good at games. So I'm totally fine doing away with that and, and taking it down to eight. I think six and a lot of people just jump on six. Like this is the, the perfect solution. And personally, I think it's terrible, but six always but gets brought me. up as the perfect solution because you're always looking at a field of four. And if you're trying to pick four teams, there's always like one or two that are right on the precipice of being that fourth team. And well, we could just solve all these problems. If like these other two teams that are in the mix, I have a feeling that if you took it to six pretty soon, all of a sudden be like, Oh man, you got these other teams that are right on the verge at, at that seven, eight mark. What if we just pushed it out to eight? Exactly. I, uh, the gap, the gap between six and seven is much narrower than the gap between four and five. So yeah. if you're going to expand it, Everyone's got to win the same number of games. In my opinion, if you're going to try to expand it and say, okay, we want to find the true champion, everyone's got to win three games if you're going to expand it. I don't think you can just say, okay, we think you two, you two did better, so you only got to win two. The, I think that's one, ridiculous. That's such one a huge thing, advantage. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you there. The one thing I would say that if you do expand it out to eight, Ben, do you think that that could open the door for other networks to get involved with airing playoff games? That, that's an interesting possibility. I, I think they're not going to bid for it in a joint way. I think that they would potentially just try to keep it where it's either Fox or it's ESPN. And I got to say, you did kind of sway me in terms of the, the idea of six. Um, I think the case for it, and I think you're right, it's kind of unfair to ask some teams to do three and others to do two. I think the case for it would be you're going to get a decent amount of years where you have two undefeateds in the in the uh, Power Five, and maybe the reward is one less game. And you know, in the BCS era, they would just be in the title. But you're right. This year, we're probably going to get that with three schools. And how come Clemson, a defending national champion, has to play an extra year? Personally, I'd love to see Dabo Sweeney have a freaking stroke about it. Um, <laughs> hey, at least like, that he wouldn't have to make up a slight against his team. He'd actually have something okay. to be legitimately upset about. <laughs> so I, I'll I, say this, not, though. And at the other side of it, though, like you could look at this season, right, and say, say that Ohio State lost against Michigan last week and they still go in and they're still a playoff team. Their record is probably still more impressive than undefeated Clemson's, but they then have to win because they have a much more difficult schedule. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where, yeah, if you did have two this year, it's very easy that they could have had two this year instead of three. And even then you're looking at it and you're like, well, it's not fair to Ohio State. Ohio State's record is more impressive than Clemson's, despite having one loss. They beat much better teams. They've had a much more difficult schedule week in and week out. So ultimately I'm saying if you're going to say, if you're going to have this system where everyone's, you know, we're going to pick the most qualified teams or whatever, and they're all going to play each other. Everyone's got to 
somewhat go through the same schedule um, or go through the same standard to win it. Um, I just think the idea that you could put two teams and be like, yeah, you guys only have to win two and the rest of you have to win three. You're at that point. You're not really doing. You're not really doing what you and, and say. Lee, you're one seeking. of those teams almost every year is going to be an SEC team. So that, exactly. that's exactly. Yeah. So I'll tell you what. You're convincing. I am. I'm retracting my. I like half, it. My guy, Ben. My, my guy. Yeah. I think. I think six doesn't work. Uh, I, you, you made a strong case, and I'm I'm on board. Eight no conference playoff uh, or conference uh, championship games. I'll uh, I'll hit up the Big Ten commissioner and whatever other contact I have, and <laughs> we'll get this rolling for you. I'll tell you what I think my perfect, and I know we're going a little bit long here, but I think the perfect solution is contract the Big Twelve, break it up, divvy up those teams. You have four conferences. Conference championship games can be the playoff games at that point. Is anyone going to come? I mean, there's there's not many situations I can think of where you would complain. Like, say, Wisconsin beat Ohio State this week, right? And Wisconsin's the eight seed. Wisconsin then goes into, a, you know, they win the Big 12 or the Big 10 and they go into a playoff game. They, they kind of won a de facto playoff game the week before. They were a pretty good team. How often is there a really bad team in a conference championship game? It's It's probably... It's probably pretty rare. It's probably happened a few times, but it's not that common and even less common that they actually win. So I, I say mean, scrap, I, scrap I, the Big 12 as a whole, but that's a pipe dream. I, I, I know that. I think every, every uh, conference gaining two to three uh, Big 12 teams probably makes it where you don't get crappy teams in conference championship games. But off the top of my head, I think if we had like a six and six, UCLA one year, and I think I remember Nebraska. You've got to be making that up. Nebraska. I'm. I'm almost. I remember that UCLA played in a conference championship game, and I think it's because USC was like banned from the conference championship game, and they were six and six, and they had to ask for clarification that if they played and lost and moved to six and seven. Would they become bowl ineligible because they wouldn't then be? <laughs> I remember that. That absolutely oh, happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I might have to. I might have to change my position then. So yeah, like if, if I mean if, if we're saying that there's never been crappy teams in the conference championship games, I mean I think we can all admit here that UCLA playing in two of them is, is probably a sign that you know it, it, it can't happen. But hey, if you add Baylor and you know Texas to the Pac-12 or something. You know, you're you're less likely to have that outcome. All right, I will wrap it up with this, and maybe this is cynical, but all the scenarios, all the different changes that have been thrown out here over the last 15 minutes or so, uh, all have their cases, and they're all for good and altruistic reasons for wanting to find the best way to determine a national champion. My prediction is this: much the same way that. Fox figured out that the best way for that network to make money broadcasting college football games was to put games on at noon. So they put games on at noon to make more money. Whatever change ends up coming to the college football playoff, if it ever does come, I'm guessing it's going to be done largely with the idea of making more money in mind. 
Oh, you think they're trying to make money? Yeah. Yeah. I I think that is going to be the driving factor above anything else. They can spin it however they want. Whatever solution they come up with, it is not going to be in service uh, of anything besides it. It is absolutely going to be in service of maximizing profits. That's 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 one thing that's always been true for the last, I don't know, 30 years, probably. Yeah. And I just I, I think that will get more weight put into the decision uh, than anybody else would, uh, or any other factor, uh, you can try to throw out the idea that, oh yeah, it's going to be, you know, for competitive reasons, blah, blah, blah. It, it's a money-making decision and, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh, Ben, this has been, uh, super fun. Thank you so much for, uh, taking the time to join us, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate having me on. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully I can come on soon and, and we can talk about, uh, Ohio State going for a dual national championship of, of football and basketball. So uh, we'll see what shakes out. Oh, already looking forward like to March it. Madness. I love it. I like it. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. As for us, we are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. Tune in and uh, Stitcher. You can also stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Our thanks once again to Ben Koo of awful announcing be sure to go check out awfulannouncing.com. fantastic site if you're into uh sports media news and analysis as much as i am really good stuff there from ben and his crew uh, that's gonna do it for us for this week for travis julie i'm tom valentino it's been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again soon Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.